Welcome to the Vegas Nation podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, joined as always with our Review Journal Raiders beat writer, Michael Gelkin. Michael, I hope you had a nice Christmas. How was everything for you on Christmas Day? It was, yeah, it was fine. I was, um, I slept in a little bit given the Christmas Eve fun that was working on <laughs> Monday Night Football. Yeah. And then it's the fourth straight year that I've had to work, or that I've missed Christmas Eve with my family, but you're just kind of used to it at this point. And then uh, Christmas Day, I did a little bit of working, but otherwise just, uh, just relaxed up in Oakland. A nice, quiet, quiet day. It was. And How about you? I, I was actually, I stayed in the Bay Area myself, saw my family. I had like all of my brothers and sisters together. There's five of us, so it's not always easy to get together. So we finally... Had that day after Monday Night Football. Very exciting time. But uh, both of us, I guess, stayed back in Oakland where the night before, like you mentioned, we saw the Raiders bring home an emotional win over the Broncos. We will break that down and get into what's ahead in Kansas City. And also we have a little bit of of an interview from Lee Smith, Raiders tight end. So we'll make sure to drop that in here so everyone can hear from Lee Smith. And we're going to talk about where the Raiders could land in the NFL draft order for 2019. That, of course, always changing. But right now, they stand at four after their win over the Broncos. Michael, you're our insider on the scene in Oakland. And there have been like uh, some interesting, I think, things going on with the team, this very emotional win, this camaraderie that we're seeing from them. Um, there's a lot of records actually being broken as well with the, where Derek Carr is concerned. Right now he's uh, got the most consecutive passes without an interception, not just for the Raiders, but in NFL history. Uh, he's in that category where Aaron Rodgers right now is at the top. He has 402. Then you have Tom Brady, who in, uh, I believe it was the 2010 season, he had 358 passes without an interception right now Derek Carr stands at 325 that's a pretty solid number on the season having thrown that many passes without a pick I hope I didn't just jinx him for the upcoming game but (laughs) that's a pretty significant stat having uh, that he's been able to make especially with the makeshift offensive line he's dealt with on a week-to-week basis as well as the receivers having constantly changed on him wouldn't you agree no doubt. Yeah, I would agree. I, I concur. <laughs> I would think <laughs> a part of it is, well, first, um, I think you look at the way he's matured in John Gruden's scheme. I think it starts there with just that comfort level that he's been able to reach uh, just with his continued relationship there. And that is something that should only expand. You know, but you figure by the time that the Raiders are actually in Las Vegas, you know, it'll be year three of Gruden and Carr having to work together. And so if they've made such strides this year, you know, the, the excitement really within the organization is projecting it, you know, next year, the year after, future years about what that could be. But as it relates to the streak in particular, I think Derek Carr would be the first person to tell you there is a luck component to that. <laughs> I mean, he threw the ball and hit someone straight in the chest against the Cincinnati Bengals a couple of weeks ago, and it just so happened not to be an interception. Um, he, he threw it out right at the defender. And so that sort of thing uh, can happen. Um, but nonetheless, you look at what he's done uh, this season. And, you know, by the end of this thing, following Sunday, it, it should be that he'll have more than 4,000 passing yards for the first time in his career. And he'll also have been sacked uh, more than 50 times uh, for the first time as well. And so he's 
he's done a, a good a job as, as probably could be expected for learning a new system, for having a constant change at offensive line, which includes having two rookies at both offensive tackle spots. And then you referenced the you know, level of turnover at the wide receiver position in particular with uh, not only the Amari Cooper trade, but Brandon LaFell steps in as a Z wide receiver and he suffers a torn Achilles in November against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Jordy Nelson for midpoint of the season. Um, there was a good chunk there where he was limited by a knee, knee ailment. And so, and then Martavis Bryant, of course, not having panned out. And so uh, that's a lot of, a lot of weapons there uh, for Derek that weren't quite always available and certainly aren't uh, to a large degree are not available today, uh, but he's done a good job of weathering all that. And you mentioned how many times he's been sacked as well. I mean, such adversity that he's faced in this season and just coming out the way that he has with the the records is pretty outstanding. Uh, Another player making some waves, we have defensive end Frosty Rucker, who took home the Craig Long Award this week. That one's a pretty unique award. It's the fifth time that they've given out this award uh, to a Raider. Well, the Raiders have given out this award, and it's presented annually to the player who best exemplifies professionalism and collaboration with the media. I find that to be interesting. So it's like, I guess, uh, one of those awards that uh, they give for somebody who's really presented themselves and the organization well and uh, for the season. So that award, Michael, what can you tell us about it? And how was uh, what was Frosty Rucker's reaction like to it? Well, he's Frost, Frosty was pretty happy with himself because this is a bit of a streak for him. He was with the Arizona Cardinals last year. And he was voted the Pro Football Writer Association Arizona chapter uh, their good guy media good guy award uh, winner for 2017. So it's essentially the same award by a different name. Uh, here for the Raiders, they call it the Craig Lawn Award, and he gets it again. I think it's about not only the way you speak to media, but how available you are when addressing reporters. And while this is a very in-house sort of an award, you know, an honor that is just between, you know, athletes and their dealings with media. I think it's reflective of, of something larger. I mean, first of all, when a player is that open with media, you know, he's essentially by proxy open with fans, and so he's allowing fans access by allowing media access. And beyond that, it's not just the reporters' questions that Frosty has answered this season. He's really made himself available for a lot of the young players, a lot of the rookies, guys like P.J. Hall, Mo Hurst, Arden Key, even non-defensive linemen like wide receiver Marcel Aitman. He and I were speaking this week about just the season that's been, and he talked about the veteran leadership, and he mentions Jordy Nelson, who obviously as a wide receiver is in his position group, and he also mentions Frosty Rucker. And so Rucker is somebody whose influence and presence has been felt throughout the locker room, not just on the defensive side of the ball. And so I think this award, and I'll be writing a, a larger story on Frosty that I'll run in Sunday's paper, uh, and I was playing on that before this honor became official on Thursday. But that is something that um, certainly it, it goes noticed by a number of people within the Raiders organization. And Frosty Rucker, a 13-year veteran of this sport, uh, what a honor for him to, again, have been, I guess, acknowledged as that person to take home this award. And as we get into the the news of the team, we're also going to get into this victory that we've been talking about, this win over the Broncos, their emotional victory, if anything else, um, for the season 
it put them basically at four wins and this now also moves them to the number four position in the draft order. So as far as winning goes, I mean, they're obviously a big, resilient team. People keep cu- counting them out, saying that this is it. The Raiders, you know, they're going to probably get the number one pick. But no, the Raiders aren't playing for picks. That's something that we've said over and over again here on this podcast. But uh, this emotional victory really for not just the team, but it was an emotional victory for the fans at Oakland who this may have been the last time that they get to see the silver and black on the field there at the Oakland Coliseum. John Gruden ran in uh, to the black hole at the end of the game, as did Carr, and the Carr actually ran the entire field and threw out a glove, he threw out a ball. Uh, I was chasing him down and hoping not to fall and like break all my equipment because it had been raining all day and the field was really sloshy. Credit to the players for having played all <laughs> the entire game in that. Um, I-, I ran around it for five minutes and I was like, how ah, ah, what? I can't find my feet. But anyway, um, aside from that, uh, it, it was a huge thing that Carr did. And, and he even teared up Michael in the post-game uh, news conference talking about it. Um, I can't imagine a scenario where this wasn't the last game in Oakland. It certainly had that feel from the even the start with Marshawn Lynch lighting the torch, um, the, the torch that they have every game. That They have somebody out there to light it. That It's either alumni or somebody who is a Oakland personality. Like they had uh, MC Hammer light it one time this year. So to see Marshawn Lynch out there, to see everything happen and unfold the way it did, it just really it had that feeling. And I can't imagine that it's not. Uh, how did it feel to you? What Did you gather the same thing? I, once again, do concur. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it, it definitely felt that way. Um, I've been, though, a place in terms of San Diego in 2015 where it felt absolutely like goodbye in terms of, the emotion from fans, people crying in the parking lot before the game, you know, people, you know, cr- crying more after the game was over. Players you were signing autographs. I remember Eric Weddle was there like a couple hours after the game concluded. He was still signing. He was still posing for photographs. And yet the team had one more season in San Diego before, after a 56th year, it relocated to Los Angeles. So I don't. Can't, I can't say with certainty as to whether or not it was the last one, but I think given the landscape that surrounds the Raiders expiring to the, or their expiring stadium lease for the Open Alameda County Coliseum, it certainly was wise for the players, for the coaches, for the organization as a whole, and for, and for fans who were there to have treated it as such. Like it was going to be a goodbye. And so uh, you saw that on Monday night, and it was, you know, it's, it, it felt different than what I, I saw in San Diego. You know, it was just such sadness there, such you know, appreciation, but sadness. And in Oakland, while there no doubt was, was that on Monday, you also saw just people just celebrating the Raiders. You know, it, was a, it was a neat thing to see. Like after the game was over, you, know, you have fans who are standing on the baseball dugouts and they're just dancing. They're just listening to music that's playing from the speakers and then they're just dancing. It was like a party. That um, was a very a true to Oakland, East Bay, you know, what the Raiders are in this town. I thought the spirit of it all was captured really poignantly in terms of how fans and players, you know, just embraced each other for that what could be a final time in Oakland. You know, Jalen Richard in the early fourth quarter, he scores a three-yard touchdown on a shotgun handoff, 
and he goes straight into the black hole. He jumps into the arms of Gorilla Rilla, one of the signature iconic fans in the black hole. And he's dressed up as a gorilla, uh, the fan is, of course. But he's got a Santa, red Santa coat on over that because it's Christmas Eve. And just that moment of, of seeing that. And you have like, you know, so you think about the, you know, it's a great moment in the present. But you also think about the past. And then uh, you look at rookie right tackle, Brandon Parker, clearing out a guy, pancaking him in the end zone to, to create the touchdown in the first place. So you start thinking about the future. Uh, he's just there's a lot going on with the Raiders, and it's it's very easy to um, just appreciate it all in, in, in one fail breath of just what has happened uh, with the Raiders in the past and, and the rich history uh, that they've had in California, uh, be it Los Angeles or Oakland or the Coliseum or another site, and then um, you know the present about what this team is trying to accomplish and building the foundation uh, for what should come. They hope in the future. As the Raiders walk away from what could have been their last game in the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, well, again, we've already talked a little bit about what the possibility is of where they play. We don't know that. It hasn't been decided yet. There's still a lot up in the air. But what we do know, as Michael touched on, is that the Raiders right now are very hardworking team that have really played together, that really come together. And one person who's really embodied that throughout the year, who Michael was able to get an interview with, was Lee Smith, the tight end from the Oakland Raiders. He's had a few great touchdowns this season where he's gone in like he did in um, Cincinnati, ran into the fans that were in the crowd, tried to leap over the barrier, couldn't quite make it. But he's just such a character and really talked about how this team has come together. Michael, what can you tell us about the character of Lee Smith and what the two of you spoke about in this interview? Well, the topic we, we discussed was just what we've seen over recent weeks. And it was really before you know the result of the past couple home games where you saw the Raiders get a win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You saw them get a win uh, this most recently against the Denver Broncos. I think it'd be easy to see the results of that and think, okay, the Raiders aren't quitting. The Raiders are still trying. They're still preparing. They're still competing. But even before those results you know, came, you looked at the film against, say, the Los Angeles Chargers when the Raiders were at home and you know they're scheming up you know, fourth down fake punts and just the way that they're celebrating – uh, pressures on the quarterback or, or third or fourth down stops. They're just um, an energy that was there and it hasn't waned over the course of the final quarter of the season now. And obviously with it being the end of the season on Sunday, uh, I, I just wanted to ask him what his thoughts were about the way that the energy and the, and the, the competition and the togetherness uh, seems to have been a constant this season, despite you know, trading your best player nine days before the season begins. And despite trading one of your other pro bowlers in Amari Cooper, first day back from the bye week, and just all these different things that have kind of come up with injuries and whatnot, how they've been able to weather all of that and, and, and remain intact as a team. I think it's a testament to the men in this locker room. You know, uh, there's always a military comparison to us, right? And, um, Although I'm, I'm not big on using that because those guys, you know, they make mistakes, they lose their lives. We make mistakes, we come back to work, you know what I mean? So, but at the same time, one thing that I've learned from the, you know, people in the military that I've spoken to over the years is just their refusal to let their brother down. And uh, there's just been a true testament in this locker room of all these, all these men's refusal to let each other down. And as long as we love each other and as long as, uh, you know, we keep this locker room close-knit and keep the uh, brotherhood as strong as it's been, 
and we got a bunch of guys that, you know, I mean, these guys know my kids by name. They know my wife by name. It's a, it's a room full of guys that love each other, spend time together inside this locker room and outside of it. And uh, it's just been a refusal to let each other down. And, uh, you know, if I take a play off there, it gets affected. You know, if, if Jordy decides not to run his route, then, you know, there's just so many things can go wrong if one person takes a play off that can affect his brothers, and that's just what we refuse to do. So it's been a lot of fun to kind of play for each other this year while Coach Gruden and everybody upstairs um, – you know, puts a plan in place to, to kind of get this thing right and get it built back and get the uh, the Raiders back to what they're supposed to be. Not that it ever needed to be spoken, but was what we're talking about spoken in here just about, hey, let's stick together, hey, let's do this, hey, let's do that. No. Not one player meeting, not one anything like that. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've been around the league long enough to know that when you're having players-only meetings, that's normally a bad thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there's a reason you, you don't necessarily want the coaches in there or whatever. We're all in this thing together. Players, coaches, everybody. We all wear that Raider logo together on Sundays. There's no need to have a meeting with just players that the coaches aren't involved in. We need them just as much as they need us. So um, none of that. There was nothing that needed to be said. we got a veteran locker room with great leaders. And, and once again, we're all tight, man. We're all brothers. We can just kind of look at each other and say, hey, let's do it, right? So um, there's, there's not been any need for any, any rah-rahs or, or anything like that. As players, uh, we all know that we're just going to keep grinding and fighting for each other. What role, lastly, does Gruden have in all this in terms of just respecting the head coach and the coaches, that relationship there for just playing for him? And well, he obviously he obviously gets a lot of credit too you know I mean um, at the end of the day regardless of how much we love each other we, we have to want to we have to want to play for our yes. boss too right he, uh, it's a it's a hard job the, the NFL's changed a lot right it's a different league than it was when my dad played in the right. 80s and 90s um, and you know I won't go down the rabbit hole of the millennials and all that you know <laughs> but at the end of the day it's just the humans are different right yeah. especially young men and uh, it's a testament to him and, and any head coach in this league that uh manages to keep their players playing hard throughout the season regardless if they're out of the playoff hunt or not. Yeah. And uh, one thing Coach Groom does a great job of is staying the same crazy wild man every day. <laughs> you know, there's he doesn't he doesn't change, he doesn't come in and, you know, pout after losses and act like the world's coming to an end and, and you know all that. He uh, he's the same fun, crazy wild man every day. And I don't play for Paul and those guys. I have a great relationship with the defensive coaches, but I don't play for them. So that's a right. question for some of the defensive leaders. But sure. as far as Coach Gruden and the offensive staff goes uh, they're the same guys every day, and that consistency allows us to know what to expect when we come to work and just do our jobs. Again, that was Lee Smith, tight end for the Oakland Raiders, a very positive outlook that he has, and he's going to need that positivity going into Arrowhead where the Chiefs are playing for not just the division title, but also possibly getting the number one seed here in the AFC playoffs if they get past the Raiders. The Raiders, again, could play spoiler here to some big high hopes from the Chiefs. However, they're going to have to do it in a stadium that is going to be packed and filled with Charger fans that are just supercharged. And that stadium is not an easy one to walk into. Michael, how are the Raiders preparing for their trip to Arrowhead? Well, I think there's an acknowledgement of what the atmosphere will be like this Sunday. Arrowhead is one of those historic venues. It's known to be a difficult place to play. You know, you see them measure the audio levels in terms of Guinness Book of World Records. You know, them in you know Arrowhead and you know Seattle, uh, Central League Field. You know, th there are certain stadiums to which you relate noise, and of course, the Chiefs play home at one of them. So, um, you had you know Thursday's practice after the media walked away. You know, shortly thereafter, they started to play the tomahawk chop, which I won't. <laughs> imitate but you know it's a lot of 
fans, you know, doing those, you know, through their shouting, just making some what sound to be kind of a, I guess, go with the chief motif of uh, different uh, themed of, I don't know how you describe it. I'm really, I really don't want to see it. I'm just trying to describe it as best as I can without doing it. They get uh, loud. But that, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, so uh, there's that. And then um, also just your standard traditional crowd noise that they blast on their speakers. So between the two, it was very loud, loud Raiders practice week. And of course there's no proper way to simulate what it will be like at times this Sunday. Uh, because of all that's on the line for the Chiefs, you can expect this to be a very coveted game stub, uh, you know, ticket-wise, uh, you know, a, a coveted ticket for fans. And so it's going to be uh, a pretty fun atmosphere, and the Raiders want to make sure that they're prepared for it. So you'll certainly expect you know, offensive tackles and you know, to be mindful of that because they're going to be in the silent count as an offensive line and as, you know, as a whole offense uh, on Sunday. Uh, more often than not, as they combat the crowd noise. And so that is an advantage to those Kansas City Chiefs edge rushers. So um, coming off of a, a pretty strong game uh, for Brandon Parker and Colton Miller, what they were able to do against Bradley Chubb and, and Vaughn Miller on Monday, you know, the, 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 that duo, which entered the game with you know, 12 sacks for Bradley Chubb, and I believe it was, uh, it was higher, yeah, I want to say 14 and a half. Yeah. They were shut out in terms of sacks for the first time since week five, uh, the both of them in the same game, that is. So uh, all in all, a strong performance for those two. Now, can they repeat it in a very noisy atmosphere that comes with Arrowhead Stadium? And you mentioned Derek Carr going possibly over the 4,000-yard mark. Well, that's something that the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, has already done. In fact, if he goes for 284 in this game, which is highly possible, he'll have reached the 5,000-yard mark on the season in just his second year. The records that this guy breaks, it's just—it's insane what he's been able to accomplish already just through his second year, which is virtually his first year because Alex Smith was at the helm in his first year. So when you look at what he's done with this offense, you have Tyree Kill with 11 touchdowns, uh, Travis Kelsey with 10, um, and Damian Williams has really been kind of outstanding in place of Kareem Hunt. So uh, he's gone for about 39 carries and 205 yards with three touchdowns. So all everybody here is a weapon. There is going to be a very... Very difficult test for the Raiders here in their final stand of the year. Uh, and for the Chiefs, uh, they haven't really stopped anybody, though. That's the thing is that their defense gives up about 413 yards a game, which ranks, ranks 29th in the league. So they, they also allow about 28 points a game. So it's not as though you know, the Raiders are going to get shut out here. They're still going to move the ball, but just the, the offensive weapons between what the, the Chiefs have and then the inability for their defense to stop anybody, it's going to make for an interesting game. But as you said, I don't know if in Arrowhead how much the dynamics will change because of playing in a, a very highly charged atmosphere where these fans are just going to come out and be rabid. So... Uh, the last time the Raiders and the Chiefs met, which was just under four weeks ago, uh, was uh, December 2nd. And the final score, 40-33 to 33 for the Chiefs. So, I, again, I don't know that they'll score the same amount of points or that the score will be the same. But having 73 points between two teams, that's pretty wild. No doubt. And 
that's the difficulty of playing the Chiefs is even when their defense, you know, may not be top of the line by any stretch, you got to keep up with that offense. And so Patrick Mahomes, he stepped into what everyone knew going into the season was a fantastic situation. Um, the Chiefs are incredibly well coached. Not only that, you looked at the talent that they had with Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey and while they, you know, entered the season with Kareem Hunt, you know, Spencer Ware was a pretty capable backup and now we've seen from Damian Williams and you can kind of go on and on when it comes to receiver core, but it's just an impressive collection of, of talent. And so Mahomes steps into it, and there he had the opportunity to have uh, production, to high-level high production, um, but in his own right, he's played extremely well. I mean, the way – he's fun to watch. I mean, yeah. if you – well, he's one of those guys where if you didn't have a team that you were rooting for and you just wanted to root for certain players, the way you, the way you hear – you know, certain guys or, you know, certain fans who aren't um, necessarily, you know, like say the NBA, you know, I don't really have an NBA team, but I like LeBron James or back in the day, I like Kobe Bryant, you know, you, you like certain players and Patrick Mahomes is just one of those athletes that you can just respect and enjoy watching, even if you don't have a vested interest on the team for whom he plays. And he just, you know, what he does athletically um, he's, it's like watching a video game um, in terms of he just, you know, he's running around, he's throwing on the move, he's throwing, I mean, oddly left-handed, even though he's right-handed sometimes. <laughs> We've seen that from him this season. Um, he's throwing the ball too far ahead of the line of scrimmage and he like, gets flagged. And he just kind of, he kind of reminds you of like an early Brett Favre where he's just, you know, he's just kind of a wild man. And he's, just, but, he, but he's also making smart decisions with the football. And um, it's, it, it, it's, it's just um, you know, you, you can see why there's going to be so much excitement on, on, on Sunday when the Raiders play there and why it's been such a special season thus far for Kansas City offensively and, and the numbers that he's posted. Um, you, you combine the coaching and the talent of around Patrick Mahomes with what he has himself and what he brings to the table. Um, it's, it's, you know, you can have some video game scores. And so the <laughs> Chiefs are fully capable of putting up 40 points again on the Raiders' defense, even though... You know, we've seen some strides from the Raiders defense, you know, 14 points that they allowed to the Denver Broncos, you know, being a season low, um, you, you you still go into this game and you can't expect that to happen again. You probably have to chalk that one up as more about the Broncos than uh, necessarily than what it is about the Raiders, um, although they are showing progress on defense. You, know, you look at Arden Key, you know, he was slipping around sometimes multiple times on the same play in pass rush or Carl Joseph at safety, you know, he's making strides. Uh, you know, you, you find reasons to, to believe that the Raiders are moving in the right direction, but uh, they aren't ready to bottle up this kind of attack. Uh, you can't expect anyway. They have a lot to prove in that sense going into a game. And so I, I, I would expect a shootout on one side of the ball in terms of what the chiefs are, are capable and, and likely to do on Sunday. But as to whether the Raiders can somewhat, uh, bottle that up and also keep pace on, on offense. I think that is the test. I think also on the flip side, you look at Jared Cook, and he's been pretty outstanding against the Chiefs uh, through five 
games. He's had 389 yards, three touchdowns, and 24 receptions. So the last time they played each other in Week 13, Cook had seven receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown. So, however, he's on the injury report right now, Michael. He's uh, got some busted up ribs. Michael, what can you tell us about the injury report? There's still some guys there. Jared Cook right now has the the rib issue. We have Gary Conley going through the concussion protocol. Uh, Mo Hurst has an ankle issue. Rodney Hudson. What, what uh, is the status of some of these guys, and who do you think is going to be able to go? Well, it's the difficult one to project is Garyon Conley. As you mentioned, he's in concussion protocol. He's been there since the game against Cincinnati Bengals almost a couple weeks ago now, and uh, yet you know he's yet to work his way fully through all the steps that he needs to pass in order to be cleared for you know, actual game competition. And so we've seen him be a limited participant in practice uh, each of the past five practices going into Friday. Uh, So we'll see what Friday's injury report looks like, whether or not he's able to be a full participant, whether he's able to clear concussion protocol and be okay to travel with the team on Friday for its Sunday game. Uh, But right now, fair to say, he is a question mark. Um, Probably more likely than not that he plays, but it's it's a real gray area when you're talking about the gray matter of the brain and, and just whether or not he'll be okay. So we'll see as to whether or not Conley will, will go, but there is optimism there. Uh, really, optimism is a pretty good word to summarize You know the other names that you've mentioned. You know, Jared Cook, he's dealing with a ribs, inju- ribs injury. It's the first time he's been on the injury report for that this week, so we'd assume it arose at some point during Monday's game. He was able to practice on Thursday, did a little bit more than he did on Wednesday, actually participated in individual drills, and so... Uh, he looks like he'll probably be okay. I know it's very personally important for him to finish out this season. He hopes to, even if it's as an alternate, make it to the Pro Bowl. And so he's had a strong year, and he looks to put a finish on that on Sunday. And then, um, you know, some of, some some of the others like like defensive tackle Mohurst uh, Jr. He's getting better with that ankle. It's been a problem for him for more than a month now. But it looks like, uh, although he was unable to play uh, this past Monday. Uh, he should be okay based on his practice participation, barring a setback for this weekend's game. All right. So on that note, let's go ahead and get into some picks. I picked right for you did. You nailed Raiders. it. I picked the Raiders, and, and they won. I don't think I can do that this week, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think in Arrowhead with Kansas City, with as much as they have on the line, I think that they are just going to – Take this one by a two touchdown score. I'm going to say they're going to have, I'm going to go high. I'm going to have 38. And then the Raiders then would need to finish around 20. I'm going to go, actually, I'm going to give them a little more, 21. So Raiders, I said two touchdowns, but I figured the Chiefs might have a little bit wider of a margin there. So I'm going to go 21 for the Raiders, 38 for the Chiefs. Michael, how about you? Sounds about right. I'm going to go 34 Chiefs and... Um, 17 Raiders. That's about right to me. I, you know, you, you saw last week what it looked like when the Raiders actually jumped out to a lead. You know, that Dwayne Harris 99 yard punt return really changed things, the whole dynamic of the game in some sense, because uh, from the Raiders, the way they were calling their game, you know, they didn't have to rely on Derek Carr as they usually might. Uh, they were able to really run the football and just kind of chew out some clock. Doug Martin had a 100 yard game. Um, they didn't have to have Derek Carr, you know, Derek Carr had fewer pass attempts than the Raiders had carries. Uh, I believe it was the first time this season where they've run the ball to that degree where that was the case. So um, it's difficult to have that sort of game flow going into um, a a game where 
the Raiders anticipate their opponent to score so much or, or should anticipate their their opponent to put up so many points on the scoreboard. And so um, I think protection will be more of an issue this week because of that. And uh, for that reason, I, I would have the, the Chiefs winning by a fairly significant amount. All right, so that'll do it here for us on the Vegas Nation podcast. Both of us, Michael Gilkin and Heidi Fang, taking the Chiefs to defeat the Raiders in their last stand of the season. Um, again, you can find all episodes of the Vegas Nation podcast available on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe there and also write us a review if you are so inclined. Let us know how you think we are doing here. And also give Michael and I a follow on Twitter at GelkinNFL for Michael and at Heidi Fang for me. And that'll do it for us here on the Vegas Nation podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>